Hello everyone, my name's Emily and welcome to the HRD Live podcast where we will discuss a spectrum of topics relating to people-centric leadership and unlocking the value of your human capital. The show will be aired every week and we will be joined by various influential senior business leaders who will share with us their perspectives and experience and tips. Today we are delighted to be hosting a very special guest, uh, Josh Burson, principal and founder, Burson Deloitte Consulting Group, who is actually joining us from the US, um, and this is an international call. Hi, Josh. Emily. Hello. Um, So for this episode, we'll be exploring the evolution of employee experience. So, Josh, how do you define the phrase employee experience? Well, it's, it's sort of a loaded phrase, to be honest, because it covers a lot of things. <clears throat> but I think the best way to define it is to describe, you know, how it came to be. Um, for, for many, many years, companies worried about uh, employee engagement. And employee engagement was a concept um, developed, uh, you know, probably in the mid-1970s, 1980s, to try to measure um, why an employee would quit and what are the characteristics in the workplace that keep people um, engaged and energetic and um, productive at work? Mm. And IO psychologists studied why people quit companies and found that there were some you know, fairly easy to understand reasons. A lot of times, one, one of them is the manager. They don't like their manager. They don't like their job. They're not paid enough. Maybe the work environment is unsafe. And so we built this industry of surveys to annually survey employees on their engagement. And that turned into um, a very large billion dollar consulting market mm-hmm. and a bunch of websites where companies evaluate their engagement levels against others. So there's Glassdoor and there's um, Kanunu and there's Best Places to Work and Great Places to Work and LinkedIn. And, and all these companies have these ratings. And all of that was you know, kind of moving along and then you know, in the last decade, we started to get social networks and mobile phones and video and tools like the ones we're using today. Mm. And the employees began to give give their employers even more feedback. And all of a sudden, employers realized, well, wait, there's many, many other things that affect uh, whether an employee is is happy or retain, you know, engaged at work. Um, you know, does there can they get help on their email when it's broken? Mm-hmm. Um, do they have time for lunch? Do they have, well, how long is their commute? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, or, you know, are they healthy? Are they getting enough sleep? I mean, it goes on and on and on. So now this idea, you know, actually it started at Airbnb, that, but somebody at Airbnb, a very, you know, guy who's actually a very well-known guy, he basically said, you know, we need to think about employees relative to their experience at work just the same way we think about customers. We mm. think about customers' experience Everything from when you first find out about a product, when you learn about it, when you buy it, when it rece- arrives at your house, when you open the box, when you use it, when it when it doesn't work, when you call for help, all of those different things that happen as a customer are part of the customer experience. Well, that's basically what it's like to be an employee. You know, you're 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 interacting with your workforce and your company and your employer and your manager all the time. And so what happened is the HR function picked up on this phrase and for the last two or three years has been trying to figure out how to improve the employee experience. So so that's what it is. It's the end-to-end um, series of activities, transitions, 
often called moments that matter that happen at work that affect your um, passion and ability to be engaged in your in your work. So I've done a lot of research on this and I can dive into it, you know, more, mm. but that's kind of what it is today. And how do you think that this, um, you know, how has this new emphasis on employee experience affected the technology around us? Well, it's really the other way around. The technology has affected the employee experience and it's giving birth to a new market. So, um, you know, going back to technology for a minute, um, we have very different types. We have many types of technology at work. We have what I call work. We have basically what I call work or, or workforce productivity software. So we have email, collaboration tools, um, tools to get our expense accounts paid. Uh, you know, things we use as part of our jobs that are just a natural part of our jobs. Then we have HR stuff, HR technology. Mm. We have, you know, the annual place where you sign up for your benefits, the place where you go for training, the place where you go for compliance, um, the place where, where you go as a candidate if you're, if you're joining a new company to look for a new job and so forth. And what we found in the research I did while I was at De- Deloitte and other people have found this is that most employees have too much technology. In fact, we did a study last year at Deloitte and we found that the average company has seven communication systems or messaging or collaboration systems for people to talk to each other. Wow. So, so I mean, it's too much. So, yeah, you know, you walk down the street of any major any major city in the in the anywhere in the world, and you see people don't even look at each other. They're looking at their phones because mm-hmm. they're so busy keeping up with their friends and their work projects and their emails and everything else. So this has become very distracting. Um, it's created a sense people don't get as much sleep. There's mm-hmm. more stress. Um, it's changed the way the work experience feels because yeah. we're always on. And so what the employee experience initiatives have done inside of companies is companies have now said, wait a minute, we can't throw any more technology at our people. Mm-hmm. We have to curate it. We have to make it simpler. And we probably need something to sit on top of all of these things that we're developing that, w- that we are going, I'm going to write a paper on this that's coming out soon called the Employee Experience Platform, which is a place for employees to go to get what they need without having to log into all these different systems. Mm. Now, you know, for years, companies have built what we used to call employee self-service portals or um, ESS systems. They had various different names. So it was the employee portal. And you just go to the employee portal and you'd browse around and say, oh, well, here's the thing I need to find. Well, you know, it's really hard to build those. They are constantly requiring maintenance and they're hard to use. Mm-hmm. So now companies are saying, well, no, let's just put it on an app. We'll have an employee app that'll have all of the stuff that our company you know, wants to offer. Well, that isn't easy either because a lot of the innovative new solutions developed by vendors are apps, are their own apps. Mm-hmm. So do we, have an, do we have an app that gets you to the other apps? Do we try to get all the other apps to work in this app? It's actually very complicated. And then behind the scenes, if you're an employee and you're on a plane and you drop your computer or it gets stolen and you land and you need to call your company somewhere and somebody and say, look, I lost my computer. I need my emails. Please ship me another computer where I go. You know, you need a service delivery system 
to connect you to the right person inside the company to help you. That might be HR, that might be IT, it might be somebody else. So, so that's created this you know, interesting new market for uh, what are now called employee experience platforms or solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of this has happened only in the last year or two. Um, it's very new. And who, who do you think um, you know needs to be at the helm of this? Who needs to be re-educated around the whole experience for this to be implicated? Well, there's probably three or four groups inside of companies that have to deal with this. Number one, in the HR department, there needs to be somebody who kind of owns the problem. Mm. And they can't solve the problem, but they need to frame the problem and figure out in their particular in your particular company what are the areas of the employee experience that are the most um, painful where we need to spend the most amount of time every every company's got different issues when I was at Deloitte there was a lot of you know you know the difficult part as a, as a consultant is you're always on the road and traveling and so your productivity while you're on the road you know if you're in a manufacturing company it might might have to do with the workspace that you're doing you know in the plants so so that's number one and that person's job is to figure out the highest impact places to focus on the employee experience and pretty much design a framework of where to spend time the second pe- person that has to be involved in this i think is the IT function mm. because so much of this is technology based and what's going on right now is while we're dealing with all the HR technology and all the innovations and disruptions in HR tech there's a massive upgrade going on in corporate communications technology Microsoft is unleashing the biggest most significant upgrade to the workplace that I've ever seen um, Microsoft Office 365 Teams and all of the tools that are coming from Microsoft are a massive change. Mm. Google is doing the same thing to compete with Microsoft, Cisco, all the other vendors, because we now have a new generation of collaboration tools. And so the HR person who's worried about the employee experience should be working directly with the IT person to make sure that we're not you know, creating more, you know, th- throwing more fuel on the fire, that we're actually using the technologies that we already have. Mm. In a more, and I call this HR on the flow of work. Mm-hmm. The third group that I think is really important, which is often true in a lot of companies, is marketing and communications. There's usually a person in the company who's responsible for customer, customer marketing, customer communications. And that person understands this idea of design thinking end-to-end, customer experiences. And frankly, that's the where most of the expertise is on this idea of experience. And I think that person, and, and some companies like Southwest Airlines do it this way, where the, um, the marketing or the communications people are also involved in the employee experience and trying to make sure that the employee experience is not behind the customer experience. Because what happens, and this is the story at Southwest Airlines, is the customers have this great app where they know everything they need to know about the planes and the flights and how much it costs and changing their seats and so forth. And the employees don't have anything like that. Mm. So now the employee's experience is behind the customer experience. And that, of course, hurts the customer experience. So so I think there's a person in marketing that should be a part of this. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in terms of, you know, from your own experience and your own observations, 
Can you can you cite a company that is uh, or numerous companies? You sort of touched upon it there. Um, role modeling this this real design thinking, this this kind of real innovation. Yeah, it's um, well. I mean, the, the original ideas of it came from Airbnb, but I, I was just on the phone, for example, with General Mills, mm. who is going, which you know is a big, very tenured company. It's been around a long time. Has employees all over the world, uh, different business units, and the problem they were going through was upgrading a lot of their backend technology. They were bringing in Workday. They were upgrading a bunch of other systems. And they realized that the employee experience was very, very fragmented and that the employees had to know, depending on their geography and their business area, what systems to use and where to go for each. And so um, there's a group there that basically, while they were going through, and this is what often happens, the employee experience problem really becomes acute when you start changing backend systems. And, um, and I've actually found that the reason, one of the reasons I think it is such a big deal right now is because companies are bringing in these new cloud-based HR systems. They're realizing they have to train their employees how to use them, mm. and they understand that the, the experience that their employees are undergoing is so fragmented that they can't get them to learn how to use the new systems, which means they're you know, basically wasting a lot of money. So, mm. so it's, that's, that's basically what happened at General Mills. So General Mills basically brought in a, um, a tool set. They happen to use ServiceNow, which is really, in, in many ways, the leader in this in experience management platform market. And they started to build a series of journeys. And they went back and they, did, and they looked at, you know, what are the most important things that our employees are doing? And usually the way they do this, and this is what General Mills did and a lot of other companies, is they look at the transition points in an employee's life at work. So there's the new hire process, the onboarding process, what happens when you get promoted, what happens when you get moved, you relocate, what happens when you change roles, uh, what happens when you have a baby at home, or you get married, or you know some family thing happens. So there's a dozen or two dozen of those um, very common employee transitions that take place. And... And you can go through as a design team in HR and you can say, all right, well, let's just look at what happens. What are all the things that people that those those people need to do during those transitions? And where is the information? Where are the systems? Where are the tools they need to find? And they generally find, you know, a very heterogeneous, confusing set of things. And then they can design programs around them. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I just went through this at Deloitte when I was retiring from Deloitte. Deloitte had this really, really well-developed process for retiring partners. I'm sure that didn't come out of nowhere. I'm sure they developed it over time, um, looking at all the things that retiring partners have to go through. <clears throat> and um, do you think that there's any area within this, within the uh, the employee experience, that is is so so sort of sorely overlooked by HR? Um. Yeah, it's all very confusing for HR. Uh, I, I think that the areas that are newer, that are less well understood, is first of all, data. How do we um, instrument or measure the employee experience? On the customer side, um, you know, I was involved in customer analytics in the 80s. Mm. On the customer side, companies have been working on customer analytics and marketing analytics and, um, you know, and feedback tools 
for about 30 years or maybe longer. So, you know, most companies have a lot of instrumentation and data and sensing, um, you know, about what happens if somebody, you know, gets a product and it fails or there's a safety issues. I mean, there's a lot of infrastructure and experience on how to do that. On the employee side, we don't have that. Mm. So if you have a an employee who finds an unsafe situation at work or has an accident or there's fraud or there's harassment or they're just you know pissed off because they can't get something done, mm. where does that employee go to share that? And how does that information make it into quote unquote the employee experience you know, system? Well, you know, you call a business partner, the business partner, you know, locally talks to you about it, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they log it in a database. That's the end of that. We, we got to do a much better job of collecting that information in a systemic way. I'll give you an example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a comp, and I've, I've now run into quite a few of these stories. You know, a company in the electric utility business had a fire, very significant problem. Um, you know, it caused an amazing, a tremendous amount of damage. And of course there's lawsuits and they have outages and they get in trouble with the government and all sorts of things happen after that. Well, it turned out during the post-mortem, they went back and looked at all sorts of employee communications and there were people um, emailing or talking in bulletin boards, I don't know where the data was captured, talking about hazardous conditions in that particular part of the company months earlier. That data wasn't being acted upon. I'm not sure they knew that it was these conversations were happening. Um, you know, I could tell you on the on the customer side, if a bunch of customers are upset about a product, somebody in marketing usually finds out about it. Yeah. Um, but on the co- employee side, it's a little bit harder. We don't have that kind of instrumentation and that kind of process. So, so I think there's going to be a lot of, re- I, I call it a feedback architecture. I call it basically that we need a. We need a, a set of systems and a, and a little group that looks at the employee sentiment on a regular basis. At IBM, for example, they because IBM, a lot of people, a lot of employees, um, you know, chat with each other online. Um, they have software now that basically um, monitors employee communications internally to look for, um, you know, uh, alarming things without necessarily reading everything, it, it sort of looks at sentiment because they have all this Watson sentiment analysis software to see if there's a problem and they can actually see reds, red spots where there's management problems or process problems in the company from a central location. I know Unilever, is, I mean, um, Nestle is working on a program like that. They do it for their customers, but they have the expertise to do it for their employees. So that's, that's the big one. The second area that's really big and new and it's a little bit um, a little bit out of control, but it's growing like mad. Is well-being. Mm. There's a there's a, a, a pretty good um, understanding now in just about every company that if the employees are not healthy, or they have uh, diseases, or they're overweight, or they have high blood pressure, or they don't get enough sleep, or they have psychological problems, or they're having family problems, or they're they have financial problems, they're bringing that to work. Yep. It's, it's affecting their behavior, their productivity, their retention, um, all sorts of things. So um, while most employers don't want to become healthcare providers, they're becoming more and more 
um, involved in the diagnosis and support of their employees for well-being programs. It's now called well-being. It used to be called wellness. Now mm -hmm. it's called well-being because we've kind of moved beyond just fixing medical problems to, you know, giving you the things you need to show up to work ready to work. And that might mean counseling, um, a different work environment, workstation, um, you know, opportunities, if you're in manufacturing, opportunities to get more exercise. I was at a, I was at a uh, manufacturing plant. I was actually at the Tesla manufacturing plant down in Cal, you know, here in California mm. a couple months ago, and they have a gym right in the manufacturing plant. In the manufacturing plant, you can walk, you can leave your workstation during a break and go to the gym and work out. Um, that's an that's a small example of you know many many things that are going on in well-being that I think are really interesting and there's incredibly new interesting technologies uh, that I could talk about that are that are making that better. Mm -hmm. So that's another area that's that's relatively new and growing very fast. And you know within um, well-being, do you think there's ever an element of um, it's it's gone too far, or do you think we haven't gone far enough? Like you said, you know, uh, businesses don't want to be healthcare providers. However, they do have a corporate responsibility to to make sure that their workforce are, are okay and you know their their well being is 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 being looked after. So what do, you know, how do you strike that balance? I guess it's a really good question, Emily. I, mean, I think I think on the one hand it's gone too far. And on the other hand, it absolutely has not gone far enough. Mm. And right now, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a piece on this. I haven't quite finished it yet. And I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. But I think companies, I don't know if this is this, this analogy works everywhere in the, in the world, but it works in the US. They're throwing everything they have against the wall to see what sticks, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. I don't know if that works around the world, but that's a US expression. There's, there are, you know, in one of the companies that I, in one of the companies that I worked for, there were more than 90 well-being programs. We counted them up. There were 90 of them. 90. They're, they're all for special situations. If you have a baby, if this happens, if you put your kids through college, you get this thing. You know, if this happens, you get this. All these things get piled up, and there's more and more and more benefits programs. And you know, the HR department, they all sound good. Mm. And they're all great for somebody. I mean, everybody has some, like there's, I mean, I just looked at some research, you know, pet fertility, fertility for your pet <laughs> is a benefit. Um, career coaching is a benefit. Psychological counseling is a benefit. Nap rooms is a benefit. Um, I, was in, uh, I was in Russia and actually one of the largest manufacturers of vodka as an anti-alcoholism program for their employees <laughs> and a gym and uh, a well-being program. So I don't think there's any limit to how many of these things you can do. Um, the problem is eventually, you know, you get to the state where you have a lot of things people don't even know what you have, they're not using it all, and you're not getting an ROI out of it. Mm. What the research shows is that the, the highest ROI is actually disease prevention things that prevent, you know, diabetes and overweight and high blood pressure and heart disease, you know, things that you might consider more medical benefits, but there's all sorts of ways to encourage people to lose weight and eat more healthily, um, get more exercise, take the stairs instead of the elevator and so forth. Um, so those are the things that have the highest financial ROI, but in terms of productivity, you know, and engagement, uh, you know, in the in, out here in San Francisco, where the traffic's really bad, 
you know, things like flexible hours or commute benefits or a company bus. You know, there's company buses all over the San Francisco Bay Area that pick people up and take them to the office with Wi-Fi in the bus and, you know, um, food and stuff. I've never been in one of those buses, but I think they probably have food in there too. So, you know, it, it, it's very it's very complicated. And I, I think, I don't think we've reached a steady state. I don't think we, maybe we won't reach a steady state for a while. I think if we have a big recession, mm. companies are going to say, whoa, what are we doing with all this stuff? Let's cut some of it. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you the best technique I've found for making sense of all this is something that we do. We did at Deloitte called conjoint analysis. Conjoint analysis is actually a very mature um, way of interviewing people to determine what are the most valuable things to them. Mm -hmm. So if you say to somebody, like one of the companies I interviewed said, we have a $15,000 allowance for healthcare and well-being benefits. You can spend it on whatever you want. Um, that is actually a good idea because then you let the employee decide what is the most valuable for them. It may be that you know, if I have young children, uh, you know, um, childcare benefits are absolutely 10 times more valuable than tuition reimbursement. But if I have, but if I'm at a stage in my career where I want to go back to school, tuition reimbursement is five times more <laughs> important to me than the healthcare, be the childcare benefits. Yeah, so absolutely. if you do conjoint analysis, you can look at these different aspects of the reward system because mm -hmm. in some ways the well-being stuff is just another form of a reward. Yeah. Um, and you can start to see which ones are the most highly valued by your company. And some of the things that aren't very expensive are very, very highly valued. Yeah. Um, I know in the in this area where I live, um, lunch served in the office is incredibly highly valued, mm. not because it saves people money, because but because they don't want to they don't want to walk around and look for a place to eat um, and waste their time and stand in line at a restaurant. And they can and they can get healthy food in the office. So even though the you know the the, the financial ROI may not be high, it actually has a lot of high value to people. If you say to people, "Would you be willing to give up the free lunch for a fitness club?" Hmm. So that's an interesting question. I don't know what people would answer, but I think we've got to do some of that in companies to really make sure we're spending our money in the right place. Absolutely. No, I think that's it's a really interesting point, and that whole area around really tailoring the uh, the you know the, the reward and you know looking at the multi-generational workforce you know what are their priorities is really really good point um thank you so so much for your time today josh it's been really really Absolutely. insightful um and please remember to uh for everyone to tune in on itunes spotify and uh soundcloud every week thank you so so much josh have a lovely weekend thank you Emily.